We are in a series on the book of Thessalonians. And I should say books because we have 1 Thessalonian and 2 Thessalonian. And we are now on chapter four of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going chapter by chapter, allowing the Lord to speak to us. And so uh, as we examine the scriptures, we're just gonna take it at what it is. And there's no cherry picking it. There's no, I wanna, I wanna talk about a certain issue and so I'm gonna find all my scriptures to support it. Well, that's not bad. That's not, what the se- that's not what we're doing in this season. And in this season, we're simply examining the scriptures. And uh, as we find ourselves in chapter four, uh, today we're gonna talk about uh, a subject that's not always easy to talk about in the church. Um, And we sent out a text message to our church family on Thursday, giving you a heads up, letting you know that today we're going to talk about sexual immorality. And so we gave all the parents a heads up and said, hey, if you would like uh, for your children to not be in the room, you can check them into kids church. Uh, But I would tell you that if they are uh, sixth grade and up, they need to hear this today. Uh, because if we're not telling them about it, the world's telling them about it. And we want to be the ones to tell them what God says about this subject. And so before we dive into it, let's just kind of set our scene today of what we're reading, what we're seeing. Uh, Paul in Acts chapter 17, um, he, on his missionary journey, went to a city called Thessalonica. And as he goes there and starts to preach for only three weeks, it says three Sabbaths, he was in the synagogue preaching to the Jews. And as he was reasoning with them and and preaching the gospel with them, not only did Jewish people start to give their life to the Lord, but it says also there were some Greeks and there were some prominent people, some non-Jewish, some Gentiles, if you will, that were giving their their life to the Lord. And so while it started out to be Jewish people, it quickly spread to be a Gentile church. Like there was so many people from the, the culture there, the Greek culture, the Roman empire coming in, giving their life to the Lord. And so Paul, uh, because of this total revival that was taking place in the city, Paul had to leave. Uh, There was riots breaking out, persecution. And so the church was afraid for Paul. And so they pushed him on out and said, hey, you gotta go, come back another time. And so Paul goes on to another city and then another city. And he starts to write to them as he settles in Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, his heart is breaking for the believers, for the church there, because he wasn't there long enough in his eyes to really disciple them and to tell them all these things that he wanted to tell them. And so he couldn't stand it anymore. And so he sent his partner, Timothy, to go back and to get a report. Timothy, I gotta know how they're doing. Give me an update. Love on them a little bit. Pastor them a little bit. Let them know that I long to see them. And so what we're reading in 1 Thessalonians is a mixture of Paul just writing to the church saying, I, I just long to be with you and, and here's some things I wanna to talk to you about. But also it's in response to some of the questions the church had and they gave to Timothy and sent back to Paul. And so we're getting to see a mixture of those things. And so uh, as we get into chapter four, he's actually gonna be addressing something that, that he saw when he was there in person and it's still happening even after he's gone. And, uh, and we see over and over, Paul really is just reminding them. It's a lot of reminding. Uh, chapter one, he reminded them of the power of the gospel, that it has power, that it is life transformative, that, that when you are presented with the, the gospel, it's not just informative in your brain, it is transformative in your heart. And so he reminded them of, the, of that. Chapter two, he's just reminding them of how he pastored them and nurtured them and, and loved on them like a father and like a mother And then chapter three, he's telling them, hey, I wanna remind you that there is gonna be testing of your faith, that there is gonna be trials and tribulations. There's gonna be suffering. 
You're destined for this. And the church, we don't always like to hear that. They were destined for suffering, but that was the reality that as a follower of Christ, we're destined for salvation and we're destined for suffering. And then we get to chapter four. And in chapter four, he starts with the words, finally. And now when any preacher says, finally, you think he's wrapping it up, right? But actually Paul didn't wrap it up. He actually wrote in a whole nother chapter that we'll talk about next week. But I would love for us to read just the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians 4 and get a good understanding of what Paul's talking about to the church. So as we do here, I would love for us to stand for the reading of the word. This is honoring the word of the Lord because we're not reading a textbook that's found in a library somewhere. We're reading the living, active, breathing word of God. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. They're on the podiums along those walls over there. I would love for you to take one if you don't have one. Uh, you can always follow along on the screen. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you're ready to read, say, let's go. Paul says to them, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do it more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Here it is, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What's that look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse seven, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this word. This word gives us life. It gives us truth. It is the best for us. And so, Father, we right now are just opening our hearts to, to hear it, to understand it, to receive it, and to walk it out. And so, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us today, guide us into all truth today, and help me, Lord, to say what you want to say. I decrease that you may increase. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated today. Today, we're going to talk about a pure walk in an impure world. A pure walk in an impure world. Now, we talked about how Paul is writing to a church that's in the Roman Empire, that's influenced by the Greeks and, and the Romans. And so Paul here is going to start to address some real-life issues that they were facing. As they were coming out of the culture into the church, they, had, they brought some things with them. And so Paul has to start um, telling them, hey, that's not how you live anymore. That's not how you think anymore. That's not how you do things. You've got to change all of that. And so Paul, as he talks about sexual morality, he's not just picking a topic to talk about. Like, let me just see what they should know or what they might want to hear or what I want to talk about. No, he is addressing a very pressing and prevalent, prevalent, relevant, all that, prevalent oh, um, thing 
uh, in the culture and is something that is plaguing the culture of this time. And so, so Paul is going to tell them how they should walk, live their life in the middle of all this ungodliness, that when you give your life to Jesus and you come and be a part of the kingdom of God, there's some things you've got to work through. There's some things that you've got to take care of, that everything doesn't just automatically get better for you, that there's some uh, baggage that you've got to address. And it's the same with us, just like this church, it's the same with us, that when we give our life to Christ, there's some things that has to change. We have to work through this. It doesn't all magically get better. And so we're going to see what it looks like for these people and for us, that as we give our life to Christ, how we can start to change some things, how we can go through some things, how we can bring them under, to, under submission to the Lord, that it's not good enough, just like with the children of Israel, it's not good enough for them just to get out of Egypt. God had to get Egypt out of them. And there's some things that God has to get out of us as painful as they are. And so today we're gonna see how we can walk in it. So a big part of the culture in Paul's time was, was serving pagan gods was serving these gods and having these temples and bowing down and worshiping them and living, not only serving these gods, but living like these gods. And these gods, some like Zeus or Aphrodite, all these pagan gods were very perverse. They were very perverse gods, very sexually immoral gods. And so these people that worshiped them acted like them. So much so that a lot of these temples had prostitutes in them that was just wide open for sex all day long. It never stopped. It was a part of their worship that they would come and they would have sex. Male and female prostitutes were there waiting for them in these temples. And so it was very perverse. It was a very um, sexually immoral uh, place. And so when these believers started turning from their idols, we read about that in chapter one, that Paul praises them for turning from their idols. That means that he's, they're also turning from a lifestyle that was very immoral, very perverted, very perverse, that it was a very sex-crazed culture that they lived in. And so it, we can also see that in our society, that we live in a very sex-crazed uh, culture. And so I think it's uh, relevant for us to talk about some of this. And so uh, as Paul begins to give them these commands in first century Roman culture, they, they had no concept of purity. They had, this was not a virtue for them. To be pure, to be sexually moral, to be sexually pure was not, was not on their radar. This, just to kind of help us with um, the understanding of how perverse it was, there was a very common uh, um, saying in the Roman Empire, very common. This saying goes something like this. We keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of our body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. That was a Roman uh, saying of the time. And so we see that this was a messy situation, that these church people, when they are getting, giving their life to Jesus and coming into the kingdom of God, they're carrying some things with them because the way that they worship their old God was by sexual morality. It was by perversion. It was by no boundaries with their sexual pleasures. And so now they come in to give, they serve this other God and they're bringing all this with them. You, you, you understand, this is what Paul's dealing with. This is what's in the church of this time. And I would venture to say that it's crept into our church in, the, in America, in Christianity. And so we've got to talk about it. And so we see Paul helping them establish a new path to go against 
the culture. And so as we uh, see this in Paul's day, we can easily see it in our day. This same type of sexual morality permeates our culture. This is nothing new. Paul in his day saw men grooming boys. He saw men sleeping with men. He saw men wanting to become women. He saw that there was no sexual boundaries whatsoever. They just lived to please themselves. That was the norm in Paul's day, and so is it in our day. It's the same demon, it's just a new day. It's the same demon, it's just a new day. And so we see that the church, we're called to be countercultural, not to mix in, as we read. We're not to mix in, we're not to do what they do. We're supposed to be set apart from this. And so today we're gonna learn how to be set apart, how to walk pure in an impure world. And as we reflect back on verse one, Paul gives us the first thing we need to establish when we are gonna walk pure in an impure world. Paul lets them know how they ought to walk. In verse one, he says, you ought to walk and please God. You ought to walk and please God. Well, what's he mean, walk? It's not how I'm walking right now. He's talking about your life that the aim of your life should be to please God. The aim of your walk, how you live your life should be to please God. You ought to walk and please God. And so the question for us, as sobering as it is, is who are we trying to please? If we're going to live the Christian faith and do what God called us to do, we have to ask ourselves and be able to answer honestly, who are you living to please? We have to answer that. Who are we living to please? And once we answer that, then that answer gives us the authority in our life. If that answer is me, then I just told you that my, the ultimate authority in my life is myself. If I'm aiming to please God, then he is the ultimate authority in my life because we're gonna please whoever that authority is in our life. And so who are we living to please? Paul is saying that, that we as Christians should be aiming to please God that the Christian walk is aimed at pleasing God. We're not looking to please ourselves; We're looking to please him. You see, if I, if I look to please myself, then I'm all about me and my satisfaction and my desires and what I want. And, and I'm saying, I'm God, I'm, I'm my authority. But Paul said, it's not so. It might be so in the world, but it's not so in the church. We must live a life that's pleasing to God because he is the authority of my life. And so my purpose is to please him and everything that I do. This is bigger than just talking about sex and passion and all, and all that. No, it's bigger than that. And everything that we do, we aim to please God because he's the authority in my life. He is the one that I'm living to please. And so we must make this transition from darkness to light. We must understand that I'm pleasing him, that he is my authority. Second Corinthians even tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether you are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That is what we are doing. And so it doesn't matter if the world's doing it. If they're aiming to please themselves, we are going to please him. And, and Paul says more and more that you should uh, please him more and more. And so we understand that our bodies are his, that our purpose is to please him, that he is our authority. And so Paul makes this clear, the will of God, if he is going to be the one you please, if he is your authority in your life, well, here's his will. We read it. It's your sanctification. First Thessalonians 4, 3 tells us, this is the will of God. That's the most asked question in the church. What's God's will for my life? He says right here, your sanctification, that you'd be set apart, that you wouldn't be mixed in, that you would be set apart for a purpose of holiness and righteousness. And then he gives an example, what that looks like that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you abstain from it. 
And so as we talk about this, and we, we could talk about this for a few weeks, but just to give us a, a general picture of this, I think that it's important for us to understand that when we're talking about sexual things and passions and boundaries and what the Bible says, I think it's important for the church to hear, especially the younger generation to hear, that sex is not bad. Sex is biblical. Sex is not bad. Sex is biblical. And as hard as it is to talk about this in church, we need to talk about it. We need to understand it, that God created this. When, when, when God gives us verses in Genesis saying that the two became one flesh, he's talking about sex. When he says to go and be fruitful and multiply, he's talking about sex. And so God created this. But just like what God creates, he sets boundaries. Everything. He sets boundaries in everything he creates. Think about the garden. He set boundaries. You can eat of this tree, but you can't eat of this tree. And all throughout our life, everything in this Bible is created for us, for our benefit, as long as it's operated within the boundary. And so God sets boundaries for us. But the attack of the enemy, even as we see in the garden, is to go and say, oh, there's no boundaries. Did God really say that? Does God really care if you do that? And so Satan wants to twist and pervert and counterfeit everything that God creates because God creates it and says it's good. And so it's for our benefit, it's for our pleasure. But then Satan comes in and twists it and, and makes, it like, makes us doubt whether God even said it or makes us doubt whether even God cares if I do this. And so on this topic, I think it's very important for us to establish how God designed it. You'll see in your notes, biblical sexuality is exclusively expressed within the heterosexual marriage covenant. That's a mouthful, but it is true. Biblical sexuality is exclusively only, that's the boundary, expressed within a heterosexual marriage covenant. That is God's design. It is for married sex. That's how God designed sex, married sex, between one husband and one wife. Anything sexual outside of that right there is sin, anything. It doesn't matter if it's looking on a screen. It doesn't matter if your clothes are on. It doesn't matter if it's somebody you've been dating for five years. It doesn't matter. It, it's sin. It means we missed the mark. That means it's not what's best for us. It's outside the boundaries of what God set for us. And so Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians a lot actually about this. But let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to see what, what he has to say again about sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says this, he says, flee from, he didn't say entertain it or flirt with it. He said, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against their own body. And he says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price, so, because of that, glorify God in your body. He's saying, this, this, it's not your life. I know that this triggers a lot of people, but it's not your body. Thus, it's not your choice. You don't get to say. The Bible says that once you're a new creation in Christ, he bought you, he redeemed you, he paid for you. The, the cost of that, the payment for that was death by cross, by crucifixion. And so my, it's not my body, my choice no longer. It's his body. 
It's his choice. He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory in it. We glorify God in our bodies. And I know that that's totally strange to our ears because we live in such a culture that whatever I feel must be right. Whatever I wanna do must be okay. But we have to understand that just because I feel it doesn't make it right. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. And so we must understand that if it doesn't bring God glory, we don't do it. If it, it, doesn't, it is outside everything. With my job, with the way I parent, with every, how I interact with believers, how I interact with the world, if it doesn't bring God glory, we don't do it. That's how we're supposed to live our life. And so I think it's just important for us to understand that the Bible's not anti-sex. It's pro-marriage and pro-sex within marriage. That's what the Bible is. That's the boundary that God created. So that's gonna be best for you. And now I know that it's a very old school thinking. It's a very outdated thinking to think, well, no, 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 you can still have fun. You can still uh, fulfill your sexual desires outside of that old school marriage and it'll be okay. It's not affecting anybody. It's not causing any damage. Can I tell you that so far from the truth that anything outside of the boundary God sets is very destructive. It's very harmful. Let's just say that for entertainment, that the, the world just all of a sudden started to adopt just this one principle, just the principle of biblical sex and what it should look like. Think about the benefits that would happen to the whole world. Think about how there would be no more adultery, no more rape, no more sex trafficking, no more pornography, that there'd be a lower transmission of STDs, there'd be cleaner movies for my family to watch. Like the world would just get better. So this right here, this principle is for your good, but because of selfishness, because I aim to please myself, because I don't care about anybody else. Everybody else is just an expense to me. Everybody else is just a transaction. Everybody else is, is just something that, that's there to complete me and please me. Because of that selfishness, we see that we operate often outside those boundaries. We see the world do it, we see people in the church that are operating outside those boundaries. But I think it's so important for us to understand that we're not called, we're not designed to just pursue satisfaction, to just get mine, pursue what I want. That's not what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to satisfaction. Romans 12 is a perfect example of that. In verse one, Romans 12, one, Paul, he says, I appeal to you. It's the same language, he's urging them. It's like, I appeal to you, listen to me. He says, listen to me, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not satisfaction, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember the, the, the people we're, were reading about in Thessalonica in this Roman empire, they worshiped the Lord they worship, I'm sorry, they're pagan gods in this temple worship. They sacrificed to them. They engaged in all these perverse things to them. And remember, they're, they're coming into this other, this other temple, if you will, this church, and they're worshiping the Lord, the true God, and they're, they're having to change their mindset. And so what is, what's God saying is, is holy and acceptable to him. It's not perversion. It's to be a living sacrifice, to lay yourself on the altar, and say, God, it's not my body. 
God, it's not my will. God, it's not my pleasure. It's your pleasure. What is it that you want me to do? And so we give our bodies up as a living sacrifice. That is our worship to God. You see, anytime that we are operating or fulfilling the sexual passions and cravings and desires that we have, anytime we're engaging in a sexual act, it's worship. It's worship. You're either worshiping a pagan God or you're worshiping the true God. And so we have to see it as that. It's spiritual worship. And so we have to see who are we worshiping? And see, as we talk about this, a lot of people will try to rebuttal that and try to say, well, when it comes to sex, there's things that, that we can do that, that's legal. There's things that, we can, that God says don't do, but, but it's legal. So there's no trouble. There's no consequences for it. But we have to understand that, that God doesn't operate by legal and illegal. God operates by moral and immoral. And that's, that's what we see so often a problem in, in the world that we live in because the world operates by legal and illegal. And what they try to do is they try to take moral law and bring it under governmental law. And that's when the problems arise is when they want to do something, they wanna, they wanna have a certain right or be able to do certain things, but it's immoral. So what do they do? They try to get it legalized. And that's what we see happening so often in our culture in an effort for them to be able to do what they want to do, to please myself, to have no boundaries, I'm going to try to take God's moral law and I'm going to bring it underneath the governmental law and I'm going to fight for it to be legalized. And that's a problem because we as followers of Christ don't operate by legal and illegal only. We, also, we, and we do in some regard, but we also operate by God's ultimate authority, which is moral and immoral law. And so we have to understand that just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not sinful. That, that there are things that are legal that are sinful. It might not get you in jail, but it, it'll get you to hell real quick. And so we have to understand that we have to operate by God's law. So my mor morality, for me, my morality comes not from the government's law, but from God's law. What does he say? Because he is the ultimate authority. And so the morality of sexuality the morality of sexuality is set by God, not man, not my feelings. And he's given us boundaries to operate in, that there's boundaries, there's borders that we must all stay in. And those borders are there not to hinder you, not to make you miss out on all the fun, but to protect you because it's what's best for your life. The borders are in place to protect you. And I know by the culture's standard that that's ludicrous. So ludicrous that our, our country doesn't even have borders. But borders are there for our benefit. And this Bible is full of biblical borders to help you have the best life possible. So to get practical, when we talk about the word sexual immorality, it comes from a Greek word called porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, porneia. Now, this word is actually a broad term. It's a broad stroke on the, paint, on the paintbrush to refer to any sexual activity outside the marriage covenant. But it paints a picture, this word paints a picture of surrendering your sexual purity, that you're surrendering it. It's often used as well as selling off. You're selling off your sexual purity. You're selling off and surrendering your you're placing value on your sexuality and your purity and you're selling it off. A more modern 
use of that word. We, that's actually where we get the English word pornography from, pornography. But it stems from just this selling off. And it's a bit of a catch-all for all kinds of various sexual sins. And the Bible does this. God's very intelligent. He makes it a broad catch-all because us as sinners, we like to find new ways to sin. And so that's why when your grandparents were alive, there were some things that people weren't doing and now they're doing it. And so we're finding new ways to sin, especially sexually, especially with technology. And so God paints this broad stroke term so that we will deal with our hearts first and be honest with our hearts. And so I know people always are asking, well, what's sexual sin? What are some examples? And this is not all of them. This is in an exhaustive list, but uh, we can name a few of them that are obvious sexual sins. Um, You've got adultery, swinging, homosexuality, bestiality, bisexuality, fornication, friends with benefits, prostitution, rape, of course, sinful lust, pornography, pedophilia, sexual touching of somebody else besides your spouse, that's with or without clothes on, sexual viewing of content or talking to somebody sexually, including technology. We can go on and on and on, but let's just establish what it is, what the boundary is, and that way you know if it's not that, then it's sin. That is against God. It's detestable, as the Bible says. So simply put, anything outside a one, a one husband and a one wife marriage covenant, anything outside of that is sexual, sexually immoral, that we should not operate by it. But even if it's right in, in man's eyes, even if the world says it's appropriate, even if the world says it is legal, even if I feel like it's okay, my feelings are not what justifies my actions. My feelings are not what drives my actions. So, so we understand the boundary. We understand how God created it. We understand that it's for our good. But we're still left with the fact that we as humans are full of sexual drive and passion and crave these things. If God created this, it's good. That's why we have those cravings and desires. How do we express it? How, what do we do with it? What's the answer? Michael, I'm sitting here today and I wanna, I wanna go from immoral to moral. I wanna live the standard. I wanna live the life that God wants me to live. I wanna use these passions and desires to glorify God and not myself. What do I do? What do I do with all this passion? Well, this is an old school answer. Are you ready? Get married. Get married. Enter into a marriage covenant. I know that that's mind-blowing. Get married. Why? Why should you get married? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of the temptation, because there's temptation, because that drive, that passion is strong, because of this temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. So because you're gonna be tempted to act on your passions and desires, you should get married. And now you might think, well, I'm not old enough to get married or I haven't found the one yet. What's my answer? Abstain, abstain. Don't do it till you get married. Listen, abstaining will not kill you. You will not die if you wait till marriage. You know how I know? Because I waited until marriage and I'm still here. Praise the Lord, okay? 
And so I'm telling you that abstinence won't kill you, that you can abstain, you can wait. You can wait until marriage to do this. And so we, we're not gonna be like the Roman culture that this gives in to everything. If I feel like doing it, I'm gonna do it. I, I'm not gonna have my wife, my mistress, and a prostitute, okay? I'm gonna have, I'm gonna wait for that one woman, that one man, my husband and my wife, and I'm gonna unite together in a covenant. The Bible tells us that marriage bed should not be defiled, that it should remain pure. And so I'm not, I'm not gonna be pure until marriage, I'm gonna be pure after marriage, that it's gonna stay within that covenant. And I know that we live in a world that marriage is, is becoming outdated or marriage is becoming so vague that we can't define it anymore. This isn't just a problem that Paul had, it's a problem that we have. It's a problem across the globe. Even when Tony and I were in Vietnam as missionaries, getting immersed in the culture, I can't tell you how many people Ask, the, ask me personally, ask me, even in front of Tony, who my girlfriend was. Yeah, like, you don't have a girlfriend? I'm like, no, I have, a, I have a wife. She's right here. Like, at least wait till she walks away. Like, but she's right here. And I, and I came to understand that that was the culture, that every man had a wife, but every man had a girlfriend. And that was the culture. And so it, because it was not established in Christian values and Christian principles, that's the way that they lived. And so Paul's saying, if you want to walk worthy, if you want to walk pure in an impure world, you've got to stay in the boundaries. You've got to stay in the boundaries. And Paul says, it's the will of God for your life that you be sanctified. You see, the Christian walk is aimed at sanctification, not satisfaction. The Christian walk is aimed at sanctification, not satisfaction. Well, what's sanctification? Sanctification means to be set apart for a purpose. So I'm set apart. I'm in the world and then God sets me out of the world, takes me out of the world to set me apart. I'm different. I don't mix in with the world. I'm set apart because if, if I'm aiming to please myself, well, what does myself want? Myself wants not sanctification. It wants instant satisfaction. That's what we want. But God calls us not to instant satisfaction, but to progressive sanctification to constantly more and more get better and get better and be more holy and more holy and be more like him and more like him. Why? Because when you want something instant, when you want that rush shipping, overnight shipping always costs more. And when you give in to that sin in an instant, it always costs you more. When you give in to that compulsion, when you give in to that impulse, instant satisfaction, rush shipping, always cost you more. And so it's not just fulfilling your need. It's actually harming you and harming others as well. And so Paul says he didn't call us to that. God didn't call you to that. He called you to, to not impurity, but to holiness. Don't be mixed in, but be set apart. Live pure, abstain, have control. Verse four and five tells us, have control over your body. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Gentiles who don't know God. Have control. Be holy. In your notes, you'll see a Christian walk is driven. We're driven by holiness, not impulse. We're driven by holiness, not impulse. We don't act out of compulsion, trying to be satisfied. No, we act out of holiness, holiness unto the Lord. So I control my passions. I control my desires that God gave me. I abstain until marriage. And then when I'm married, I keep it in the border. 
I keep it in the marriage bed. I keep it between my wife and it doesn't flow out from that. Anything outside of that is damaging, not only to me and my marriage, but to those around me. And so I consider that. But also I want us to consider this as well. I told you that anytime that you engage in a sexual activity, it's worship. If it's worship, that means it's spiritual. It's not just physical. When you engage in a sexual act, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. So when you have sex with somebody, you're not just having sex with a body, you're having sex with a soul. That it's a spiritual moment. And, it's, and so, uh, matter of fact, even 1 Peter hints at this and lets us know about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, meaning that you're not of this world, you're set apart, you're exiles, to abstain, there's that word is, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So it's waging war. Sexual immorality, passion, and lust is waging war against your soul. So it's not just your body that's craving this. It's not just your body that's fighting this. It's not just your body that's engaging in it. It is spiritual because you're worshiping. And the enemy would love nothing more than to compromise your worship, to hinder your worship. And so he releases the borders, opens the floodgates and said, there is no more borders. You do what you want. Please yourself. Act like the Gentiles who do not know God. Mix in with the culture. Don't be set apart. Everybody else is doing it. It must be okay. Nobody will find out. That's the biggest lie of the enemy. Nobody will ever know. What did that word say? We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said that the Lord is the avenger of all. The Lord's going to find out. If you disregard this, it says you're not disregarding your mom or daddy. You're not disregarding your preacher. You're disregarding God who sees all, who created all. And so we must understand that this is spiritual. And so what if? What if, Michael, I'm sitting in the room today and I'm like the people that we're reading about? I just gave my life to the Lord, but yet I'm coming out of a pretty sexual and moral situation, a perverse lifestyle, one that is not pleasing to God. And now I've given my life to him and there's some things that have carried over, some things that have went undealt with. What do I do? Or what if I'm, I'm in it right now? What if right now I am outside the boundaries of what God has set for my life? What if I'm addicted to sex? What if I'm addicted to pornography? What if I have cheated and had sex outside of the marriage covenant? What if I have looked at things that I should not have looked at? What if I have surrendered my purity? What if I've sold it off, given it away to satisfy myself? What do I do? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do we do? We confess our sins. We confess our sins. And he's gonna forgive us and he's gonna cleanse you. He's gonna wash you away, white as snow, as if you never sinned. He will wash that sin from your life, that unrighteousness from your, from your life. And the reality is, is we want that cleansing. We want that forgiveness. We want God to cleanse me, but I ain't confessing nothing. I ain't telling nobody. Then the enemy's got you. 
If you're in the room today and you say, I ain't telling nobody nothing. I'm not confessing to God. I'm not confessing to others. The enemy has you and you're bound and you're captive. And today is the day that you can confess your sin and be set free. You can be cleansed today. Who do I confess to, Michael? If you're married, you confess to your spouse. If you're a child and your parents in the room, you confess to your parents. If neither one of those apply to you, you you confess to a brother or sister in Christ that can hold you accountable, who can pray for you. If you don't have that in your life, I've got the perfect people. It's called our prayer team. They're selected and approved and filtered through and they, at the end of the service, will be along the walls and, and they're there to pray for the needs of the church. That's your person to pray with, to go and to confess that and receive the forgiveness and receive the cleansing that you need. James 5 also tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. There's healing that can take place today. We all want that healing. So let's be honest and confess. And so how we're gonna close today is gonna be by a time of reflection, like we always do, and then a time of response. The response time won't look any different. People are gonna respond in worship through worshiping in the seats and the altars at the prayer team. But today, if you're here and you've stepped outside the boundary that God set for your life, this doesn't need to be public knowledge. It doesn't, we're not gonna tell you to announce it in front of the church, but you need to confess to somebody, your spouse, your parents, maybe a prayer worker. And so when we move into a time of reflection and everybody's praying and, and letting the Lord lead them and deal with them, I would encourage you, if that's you, to look to that person, your parent, your spouse, or somebody maybe that you trust. And I want you to ask them, I want everybody to ask each other this, is there anything that we need to talk about? Is there anything that we need to talk about? And as we ask that question, then somebody's gonna say, yeah, there's this. And this is gonna be the moment that the Lord heals you, the Lord frees you. That today you came in addicted to pornography, and you're gonna leave it at the altar today and walk out a cleansed person, a healed person. We understand the effects of pornography, how it rewires our brain and how it robs us of the pleasure that God gave us. Today, God can give you a new brain, a new mind that you can renew your thinking today. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're just gonna go into a time of reflection to examine our hearts, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and while we're doing this, everybody, if your spouse is in the room, if your parents in the room, if your children's in the room, if there's a brother or sister in Christ that you're right next to, ask them, is there anything we need to talk about? Is there anything we need to talk about? And as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're allowing the Lord to do that, and you are being bold enough to ask that question, I wanna to talk to those people in the house today that what you need to talk about is your relationship with the Lord. That you're in the room today and you've not given your life to the Lord. You've not surrendered to Him. But because God has drawn you into this place in this moment, you're gonna to surrender to Him. You feel it, you know it, that's my next step. I wanna give my life to Him. I wanna receive all that He has for me. I understand that Jesus is the son of God, that he came to this earth 
and he died for me. And because he died and was buried and rose again and now sits at the right hand of God, because, because of that, I can have a relationship with the one true God. And today is my day. Today, I wanna surrender to him. I'm coming home back to my father. If that's you, while everybody else, they're praying, their heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. If that's you, and you say, today's my day. I'm giving my life to the Lord. Would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. I'm not gonna call you down front. We would just ask that you take a bold step of faith and say, today's my day. I'm giving my life to King Jesus. If that's you, would you lift him up? Thank you, I see your hand. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Today's my day. You can put your hands down as quietly as possible. We're gonna all over this house stand to our feet as we move into a time of response. As we move into this time of response, this is the moment that we get to respond to what God is calling us to do, to worship him as a new creation in Christ, a free man, no longer bound by addiction, no longer held captive by the ways of the world. And so people are gonna respond differently. Some will worship where they're at. Some will find a place in the altar. Some will come to the prayer team that's along our side walls. But what we're not gonna do is leave this place without asking the person beside us or who our parent or our spouse or whomever, is there anything we need to talk about? And as you do that, it's gonna open the door for freedom in your life. And so let's don't leave out this place the same way we came in. Let's leave free today. And so Father, right now in this moment, you see the hearts, you see the conversations, you know, God, what needs to happen. And so Father, we're just giving this over to you today. And we're asking, Lord, as, as messy as this is, as vital as this is, as hard as this is, God, we're just gonna give it over to you today. And we're just gonna ask, Lord, that you would take it and move, God. God, that you would break chains of addiction, that you would restore marriages. God, that you would bring health and healing to people, that you would cleanse them from all unrighteousness. We pray no spirit in the house, but the Holy Spirit. We, we just come against the work of darkness, the trap of the enemy. God, we come against the, the enemy that's attached himself to people in the room, that's oppressing people, possessing people. God, if anybody's given a foothold to the enemy, we're shutting that door today. In Jesus' name, we're rebuking the enemy off of the life of the believers. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment of healing and restoration and cleansing. We thank you that this is a day of salvation. Thank you that people are surrendering to you. And so, Father, in this moment, we're gonna worship you in spirit and in truth. We're gonna seek your face today and be set free. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship together.